Hey, it's Alan Carter. Here's what's on the podcast today. I'm mad as hell, and I just don't know at whom, but Doug Ford will help me decide. Plus, toxic workplaces and the resignation of the GG. And travel plans for spring. Should you cancel them? Let's get to it. To the accusation that he had inappropriately groped someone. We all experience things differently. I can't decide whether Julie Payette was just throwing up the double middle finger on her way out, giving the old Trudeau salute right back to Trudeau. Was that what that was? A bit of a fuddle-duddle to the Prime Minister from the former GG? Although there's not really anything in her past that would suggest a cunning approach like that. All of it's delicious. We're going to spill the tea on our screaming astronaut coming up. You know, in space, nobody can hear you scream at the staff. Not so on terra firma. Hey, Julie, try a little deep breathing. Don't let the Order of Canada hit you on the way out the door. We're going to get to more of that. I'm going to talk about toxic workplaces coming up on the program. But meanwhile... I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Are you mad as hell and not going to take it anymore because you're not alone? Just one thing. Are you unsure exactly who you are furious with? Well, don't worry, because Ontario's finger-wagger-in-chief has got you covered. Doug Ford is here to let you know which bunch of yahoos to demonize as opposed to the absolute champions to celebrate. A year into the pandemic, some political habits have proven impossible to break. Chief among them, Premier Doug Ford's penchant for shaming and blaming before stepping in and stepping up. When testing numbers repeatedly fell short of promised levels, Ford castigated and condemned the system he is actually in charge of. When Ontario's Auditor General suggested the provincial pandemic response was not being guided by health experts, Ford angrily told her, stick to what we hired you for. When some doctors questioned why Ontario was waiting until Boxing Day to impose a lockdown, Ford blamed the federal government for letting infected travelers pour in through Pearson Airport. And now, here comes the firecracker. I'd be up that guy's yin-yang so far with a firecracker, he wouldn't know what hit him. News from Pfizer of a serious slowdown in vaccine deliveries to Canada was met with a colorful promise to place a firecracker in a tremendously sensitive area of the Pfizer CEO's body. And Ford followed up by calling Pfizer's explanation of retooling at the pharmaceutical giant's plant in in Belgium, this way, they were saying they they're they're you know re- reconstructing another line in in uh, Belgium. I, I don't buy any of that crap. Bottom line is get us the visor. I mean get a, get us the visines. Simple as that. I don't care what you're building. You can throw any excuse you want at me. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Not believing it. It's Pfizer's fault. I don't buy that crap. Does anyone, anyone believe that this approach will get Ontario a single dose of vaccine any faster? Do you believe that? You know, at this point, 
in the pandemic. You can almost set your watch to PC government outrage. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Oh, it's the Dofo Show. See, I set my watch for it. And with the tragedy unfolding at long-term care homes amid this second wave, the Minister of Long-Term Care, Marilee Fullerton, wants you to be disgusted at NDP leader Andrea Horvath for, quote, disinformation, unquote, that is apparently scaring families, residents, and frontline workers, as if somehow the facts themselves weren't frightening enough. Are you wondering why Ontario didn't begin asymptomatic testing in schools until November? You know, it's probably Pusateri's fault for overcharging for those wipes. Or maybe it was a bunch of yahoos in the park drinking hipster IPAs. Cut probably probably would have been them. Do you have questions about Ontario's recent stay-at-home order? No, you don't. No, you don't. Because Doug Ford says there is no confusion and accuses any official, any local official who says otherwise, of being irresponsible. Because it's simple. Just stay à la maison unless you think you don't have to, and then you can just do what you like. But today's outrage opportunity is a giant multinational who is stiffing the good people of Ontario. But it's absolutely critical that Pfizer steps up to the plate and not leaves us uh, behind the eight ball, which which they have. And uh, as I always say, I told them, I'm going to be on them like an 800-pound gorilla until until, uh, they they come up and and deliver vaccines. It's unacceptable what they've, they've done. It's unacceptable. You know, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau spoke to the CEO of Pfizer by phone on Thursday and then relayed that information to the premiers and said that the phone call hadn't really changed anything. And it is true that the amount of vaccine we're getting is a very significant drawdown. We know that we're not going to get the kind of vaccine numbers that we had been promised. But we're not alone. There are many other countries like this. Obviously, we're all disappointed by it. It's not what we wanted to hear. But it really isn't that unexpected. Did you believe that we would be able to vaccinate our way out of this problem before the end of January? Before the end of February? Who believed that? But Doug Ford wants you to know he's angry. Just like you. Just don't look too closely at schools, long-term care. Don't ask questions about sick days. Don't look at the factories, etc., etc., etc. If you're mad, the leadership of this province has plenty of suggestions where to direct your frustration. Bunch of yahoos. It's probably Julie Payette's fault. Now that I think about it, yep. Yeah, let's blame the GG. Really, it's the first newsroom I ever worked in. I mean, belittling, yelling, abuse. I mean, that was just daily. This part of the experience. And the culture has changed significantly, hasn't it? And what we, ex- what we accept and what we will tolerate from a boss, 
what we will tolerate in a workplace has changed. But I think we all have some of these experiences. I think there's a couple of questions that come out of the Payette story, and that those things are, one, how possibly did we choose somebody with a track record like that in this day and age? Obviously, we didn't check. We're just like, ooh, ooh, look at a piano playing astronaut. That looks good. That I, these socks and a, an astronaut, GG, man, I'm I'm a shoe in for prime minister for life, and it didn't work out quite that way. But there are questions about toxic workplaces, and we're going to get to you and your story about. What kind of experience have you had working in different places and how you've dealt with it? And Sam Miller is on the line. Sam Miller is a workplace trauma and toxic workplace expert. Sam, welcome to the program. Thank you, Alan. Thank you for having me today. All right, let's begin with the allegations at Rideau Hall, um, belittling, screaming, you know, sort of thing. It's not, or at least in the past, has not been that uncommon that that's the kind of workplace experience that people have. Well, Alan, you're exactly right. Um, you know, workplaces of old are, are very different than, than the current workplace environment um, for a number of reasons. One is because we are much more aware and cognizant of the effects of a toxic workplace on an individual's physical and mental health. Um, and frankly, there are laws uh, in place that highlight that and, and talk to workplace toxicity. So um, it's no longer okay to say that's just the way it is, or it's always been that way, or, you know, and, and as you mentioned, most of us, if not all of us listening, have had those experiences. Okay, so those who are listening right now who perhaps have you know, workplaces where they feel that this is precisely what is happening to them. And here they see the governor general shown the door. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Should that, you know, should that encourage people? How should people react to that? So when when you are a victim of a toxic work environment, workplace harassment, workplace bullying, if you will, uh, you have a number of options. Um, I always recommend that uh, you document to make sure that, that if it were to come to a, a, a formal complaint, you'd have the proper documentation. Um, but it's not as simple as that because often toxic workplaces are workplaces that there's, there's real fear, fear of reporting, fear of losing my job, um, fear of not losing my job, but increasing the toxicity. Um, and, and so, you know, again, my, my first recommendation is speaking out, speaking to someone you trust, uh, a colleague, a manager, HR, uh, employee assistance, um, that you can address those concerns. But it should start before there um, in terms of the workplace. You know, we have Bill 168 that was introduced for this very reason. Um, and, and in Bill 168, we talk about the, the duty of workplaces to have an anti-harassment and workplace violence policy, right? But if you're in a toxic workplace that doesn't have that, um, that doesn't support their uh, employees, and it's also, uh, in, in many cases, the person, especially in smaller organizations, the person who might be that workplace bully might be a person of influence, of, of high position within the organization, and there's a real fear to, re- to report. 
I'm just wondering what your reaction has been to the story and and the the reports that we've seen. You've seen it sort of dribble out over the last couple of months. The stories about Julie Payette and that workplace. I mean, what did you take away from it? So my first gut reaction was, why did it take so long? That's number one. And number two, we've been hearing about these. There've been ruminations of this for quite a while. Um, what took so long? Um, and that was my first reaction. And when I heard about, again, some of the things that you mentioned, the belittling, the, the, the um, throwing uh, your work on the floor and calling it names I wouldn't repeat on, on the radio, um, that's clearly a toxic work environment. That's clearly uh, uh, a work environment where you're going to have absenteeism and turnover and stress, which is exactly what we're hearing now. Uh, people leaving in droves from a um, government agency that up until now didn't really have that kind of reputation. It actually had a reputation of a, of a, a good or a great place to work. I'm speaking with Sam Miller, who is an expert in workplace trauma and an expert in dealing with toxic workplaces. Uh, how, do, how does that that office move forward? There's been some suggestion that we should bring back uh, the former GG, uh, David Johnston, who was very, very popular, at least in, in the interim. Is, is, is that is just changing the person at the top? Will that change the situation at Rideau Hall? Um, not necessarily. Uh, when you talk about a, a changing a toxic work environment, you have to have buy-in from top down. So um, whatever occurred in that organization to allow this to happen has to change. Um, there, there needs to be an environment created where the workers that are there now feel comfortable. Um, and that, whether that means uh, publicly releasing the anti-workplace uh, harassment and violence policy, um, bringing back, as you say, maybe um, individuals who will create that environment, um, and, and making it known that, that this is no longer acceptable. Um, but it's not simply changing one person for another. You know, the suggestion you made is great because that's an individual who is going to create a welcoming environment. But um, uh, I read a quote from, um, I think it was Dominic LeBlanc, who said, you know, she, there's been a resignation. Do we need to really place blame? And the answer is yes. We need to figure this out. We need to understand it so that it doesn't happen again. And we need to, frankly, provide uh, avenues and resources for those who have been victims of this bullying to heal. Sam, great to have you on. Sam Miller is a workplace trauma and toxic workplace expert. Appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. If you were looking forward to getting away in the next little while, well, uh, some news from the Prime Minister this morning. The Prime Minister, very, very stern in what he had to say about travel. Here is Justin Trudeau outside the cozy cottage this morning. No one should be taking a vacation abroad right now. If you've got one planned, cancel it. And don't book a trip for spring break. It's obvious we should avoid trips south and out of the country. But remember, across the country, people are being told to stay home. So if you were thinking of traveling across the country for spring break, now's not the time. That is Justin Trudeau. Now is not the time to travel, and that includes 
across the country. So looks like that snowboard trip to Tromblon might be not such a good idea. Do you have anything booked? Well, if you do, the Prime Minister says, cancel it. Jennifer Weatherhead-Harrington is our travel expert here on the program, joins me on the line. Uh, Surprised at all what you heard from the Prime Minister this morning, Jennifer? I'm not surprised, um, especially since he gave us a bit of a warning last week saying that new travel restrictions might be coming. This is another warning because we don't know the full details yet, but it's expected that next week he will tell us a little bit more about what those restrictions would be. But, you know, as soon as that new uh, strain popped up from the U.K. and then they were talking about one in Brazil, I was expecting that things were going to get a little bit tougher for all of us. But I am hopeful that we will be a little bit tougher right now. But once the vaccine starts rolling out, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's just unfortunate that we need to stay put during the coldest part of the year in Canada. I know the the, the one part of the year where you're like, I really need to get away for a lot <laughs> of people. And, and even just to have something on the horizon, I think that has been for a lot of people holding on to that. So even if it was a trip booked for late March, even after March break, if you think, well, I can just hold out and hope for that. It, it it doesn't look good for that either. No, I think right now we're looking at definitely late summer and fall. If you are looking to book some kind of travel, I would still say that summer is probably going to be a, a full-on Canadian summer again. Um, I mean, things might change a little bit between now and then, but that's what I would be planning for. Um, And I think one really great thing to point out, though, is that the airlines and tour groups and hotels have made considerable changes into, you know, their policies for letting you cancel or reschedule. So it's not as hard as it used to be. Hopefully you won't be out. You'll probably have a credit and be able to use that credit for a future trip. Um, So that is one bonus in this. And if you do have something booked right now, I would definitely be making arrangements to reschedule that trip. How hard has that been? I mean, there were so many horror stories in the in the first lockdown last spring about people trying to get their credit or trying to get money back, and it's it was difficult. Is it easier now from your experience? It is easier now. Um, I would still give it a little bit of time because of this new uh, news that Trudeau is saying. There might be a bit of an influx of people looking to do that and looking to change things. You might have a longer wait time. It may take a bit longer for the airlines and that kind of thing to piece things together for you or get that refund to you or um, that credit to you. So be patient with them. But I think we are in a position right now where it is easier to make those changes. Last March, it was really just, you know, kind of a gong show in terms of everyone needing to cancel last minute. So the airlines and the tour companies and travel agents have been working hard to make changes to make those things a little bit easier because i mean their ultimate goal is to get you to travel at some point so they want you to kind of feel more comfortable doing that um one of the things the prime minister mused about was asked about was you know would they do something like if if you do travel then you must self-isolate at a hotel at a designated spot at your expense uh, when you return something like that and yeah, the, the sort of firmness of what the prime minister is talking about and cracking down, I understand that the variants have changed um, some of the thinking on that. I think a lot of people out there are like, well, this is way, way too late. Where was this before Christmas where all these people were deciding that they absolutely needed to go to St. Bart's? 
Yeah, exactly. I understand that that frustration because I was thinking the same thing. I think what our government tried to do was give us the benefit of the doubt and hope that people, when they were returning um, from trips, that they were doing that isolation. And, you know, you're always going to have people who break the rules and who aren't going to follow these kinds of things. So I think that may have led to a little bit of a slippery slope. And now we're kind of in this position where we've seen other countries do similar things and they had success with it. I know a few people who had traveled to Australia and had to do the mandatory 14-day quarantine in a hotel, stay in that room until the two weeks is up, and then they could get out. And Australia is doing well right now. So I think part of it may have also been the government wanting to assess how this would work in other places and see if it was actually doable and a success before putting those restrictions on us. I think now is probably the best time to do that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that's something that they end up putting into place. I'm speaking with uh, Jennifer Weatherhead Harrington, who is a travel expert. And Jennifer, you're not just a travel expert, but I, I would I would say that you were a travel influencer. W- would that be accurate? I would say so. I think I like to, I definitely share stuff on social media, and I like to inspire people to travel when they can and when it's safe. There's definitely lots of inspiration out there for future trips. So let me, let me ask you this then, as a, a travel influencer, have you been frustrated by what you see from airlines using travel influencers to encourage travel during a time when we're really expected not to do so? Yes. Yeah, so I know that recently came out and um, I can see it from both sides. I understand that the airlines are looking for a way to get people excited to travel again. They're definitely hurting as an industry. They want people to feel safe and comfortable and they were trying to reach a specific audience. Was it the right time to be doing that? I didn't think so. I also was approached to do some of these trips, and I turned those down because I didn't feel comfortable promoting travel at that time. So I think the timing was off. I don't think it's a bad idea, but they think that both the airlines and the influencers maybe needed to take a step back, think about what they were promoting at what time, You know, it might be something that's really great in the future because influencers do reach a different audience. But, you know, I can see it from both sides. But I at the end, I just didn't think it was the appropriate time to be doing that. I suppose the advertising right right now really should be aspirational, shouldn't it? Should be. This this is what you can do someday, just not now. Exactly. And I think we've talked about this before um, on the program that actually planning a trip can make you just as happy, if not happier than going on a trip. So it, it releases all of those happy vibes. You can spend some time looking at beautiful pictures, organizing things. So you're not stressed when the time does come. So, and honestly, I think planning a trip can make you happier than being on a trip because nothing really goes wrong when you're in the planning stage. It's when you're on the actual trip where (laughs) things go awry and you're like, what do I do now? (laughs) When you're planning, you're in a happy place, right? Nothing's going to go wrong. You're not going to miss the flight. So I would encourage people to use this time to plan those future trips. If you have like a big bucket list dream vacation, start planning that out. Don't wait 10 years for it to happen. Start making those things happen now. Um, yeah, I think that can really help. That's what's getting me through it. I have a dozen trips planned already. <laughs> really? What's, what's top of your list? Um, I'm definitely going to be heading back to Portugal. Uh, that was one of my last trips before the whole pandemic happened. And I was planning to go back the following month. So 
I'll be doing that. Um, and I'm also looking to do a little bit of digging in my family history and heritage and hitting up Denmark and Scotland and then hopefully Australia. Wow, those are some uh, some great great destinations. Denmark, is, is, that's your history? Yes, on my mother's side. So I've been there before, but time to do a little digging. And again, I think that's also a fun way to start planning out trips too. So you can start finding different destinations that you may not have thought of going to. Uh, I, I just, if you don't mind, <clears throat> tell a quick Denmark story. I'm speaking with uh, Jennifer Weatherhead uh, Harrington, who's a travel expert. I am also of Danish uh, descent. My grandfather emigrated from Denmark in uh, 1920. And so I, when I decided to go to Europe one time, you know, after university, I was like, I'm going to backpack across Europe. So I, I go to uh, see my grandfather. I said, I want to go to the place that you, you uh, grew up. I, w- I want to go there. And he says, it's, he says it's a place called Svininga. So I go and I get there and I take a train and I get a picture of myself in front of the sign. It's not easy to get there. And then I come home months later and I go and I see my grandfather and I say, I've gone right to your home place. And I show him the picture and he goes, he says to me, there are two Svenningas. You went to the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> so there I guess I got to go back. <laughs> yes. So now you can plan your trip to go back <laughs> and get all those happy feelings while you're planning. Jennifer, thank you so much for being on the program today. Please take care. Thanks. You too. That is Jennifer Weatherhead Harrington, who's a travel expert. I think a lot of us thinking about travel, but the advice from the prime minister this morning, if you did not hear it, He said, now is not the time to travel. And if you have something booked for spring break, if you're looking to go away for March break, if that was something that you were holding out as the light at the end of the tunnel, I'm afraid it's going to have to move over the horizon a little further. The prime minister is suggesting that you cancel anything for spring break. Remember back when, what was it, Thanksgiving, and he came out from the cozy cottage and he said, Thanksgiving is off the table, but we still have a shot at Christmas. <laughs> and now we're like, March break is off the table. <laughs> we, we got a shot at Canada Day, maybe. <laughs> That's the podcast for today. Don't forget the Alan Carter Show weekdays starting at noon.